0: Brad Meltzer has built one of the most diverse and wildly successful careers in publishing. After his first effort at writing a novel was rejected two dozen times, he sold his second attempt, The Tenth Justice, while still in law school. The novel was the first of his 12 fictional works that would each find a spot on the bestseller lists. For many authors, that might have been enough, but not for Meltzer. He's an exclusive club of authors who have hit the bestseller list in fiction, nonfiction, advice, children's books, and just for good measure, comic books. Never one to miss an opportunity or a challenge, Mr. Meltzer also hosted two wildly popular programs for the History Channel, Brad Meltzer's Lost History and Brad Meltzer's Decoded. Xavier Riddle and a secret museum based on his children's books with Chris Eliopoulos can be seen daily on PBS Kids. His closely held belief that ordinary people can change the world is also the name of his children's series, featuring amongst others, Amelia Earhart, and Abraham Lincoln. One thing is clear, Brad Meltzer's talent is far from ordinary. And he proves it again with the Lincoln Conspiracy, co-written with Josh Mensch, a startling true account, an event that would have changed America forever.
1: Hey, I'm best-selling author Brad Meltzer, the best-selling author. You should be watching The Career Reviews.
0: Well, Brad, thanks for coming on. We're excited to have you. Um, welcome, hey. Welcome to the show. Welcome to
2: the show. Welcome, welcome. I
0: appreciate it. No one told me that there was going to be uh, free mugs.
1: <laughs>
2: we'll so we'll I drink enough that. for you too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Legoland just for you, Brad. So
2: that's good. <laughs>
0: um, so I'm going to jump right into it. So let's talk about your new book. So history is almost always right there in plain sight, but the Lincoln conspiracy is a story that really seems to be lost to time. So tell us, how did you uncover? The historical nuggets that made up such a riveting historical tale.
1: Yeah, you know when we did the the Washington book about the secret plot to kill George Washington, I remember exactly the moment of when I saw it for the first time because it was just such a crazy story, um, and you know a plot to kill George Washington. But to figure out the plot to kill Abraham Lincoln, this is you know again this is the plot not that actually killed him, but was the early plot at the start of his presidency that failed, um, where they went after him and they didn't kill him. I learned about it. I, I know I learned about it uh, when we were doing the Decoded episode on the History Channel. But I actually, because we were just going through all the kind of crazy things that happened. But I don't remember where I was or how, who found it or, or who unearthed it. I wish I did because I owe that person. Um, I'm sure they'll now tell me I was the one who found it. 50 people from the <laughs> show will now tell me that they were the ones. Um, but I remember reading about it and just being like, wait, wait. Someone went after Abraham Lincoln and tried to kill him. And they failed and no one knows who it is? And they're like, no, no, we know who it is. We know exactly who it is. Um, and, and again, as in, in, in a real thriller or in a historical story, um, what I always look for is, to me, just a good story. A good story is a good story, whatever the genre. And I heard that, and I was like, tell me more.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's an okay. amazing story, right? It's the start of Abraham Lincoln's presidency, uh, 1860, one of the you know, most famous elections of, in American history. Yeah. And basically, there's a secret plot to kill Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln is newly elected. He's got to move from his hometown in Springfield, Illinois. He's coming to Washington, D.C. to raise raised his right hand and swear in as the 16th president of the United States. And the only way you can get from Illinois to Washington, D.C. is, unless you're going by horse, you've got to take a train. There's no cars. And what happens is, is he's basically a glad handling tour. They're going to move him through all these places that are friendly to Lincoln. And one by one, he's going to shake hands with everyone. Um, at toward the end, he's going to go through Baltimore. Now, here's the thing. Baltimore, at the time, Maryland was a slave state. They wow. hated Abraham Lincoln in Maryland. Wow. And when Abraham Lincoln's train was coming through Baltimore, and he had to switch trains because they had to go from one station to the other, the plot was to murder him. They were going to kill him. Wow. And that's just amazing, right? And what happens is the person who figures it out uh, and who gets on the trail is a guy named Alan Pinkerton, America's first private. Private Eye, runs the Pinkerton Detective Agency, uh, and also America's First Female Private Eye. Uh, It's this woman named Kate Warren, who he also Mm -hmm. brings on along with the rest of his staff. They figure out what's going on. They figure out who's behind it. They infiltrate the bad guys. They put Lincoln on a speeding train in the middle of the night. They put him in disguise. I won't tell you or ruin how they do it. (laughs) But on this train in the middle of the night, they save his life and change the course of American history. And I'm like, I got to tell that story. So Josh mentioned I was, my, uh, was our executive producer on Lost History when we did it on the History Channel. Once again, came on board, and you'll see the story in the Lincoln Conspiracy about the secret plot to kill Abraham Lincoln, but it's the secret plot that never succeeded
2: god that's just amazing I, if it, if it wasn't teach real this in indeed. school, yeah. right you'd be like right if you taught
1: me that in school I'd be like always paying attention right?
2: yes. yes 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 it's like a perfect thriller plot so you detail the Lincoln conspiracy he grew up in a poor uh, shack like environment he had to become very self-reliant in the you know out of necessity when his mother passes away and his father disappears for a length of time um, in, after your research, in your opinion, how much of his childhood shaped him in rejecting the, the issue of slavery and leaning on the Constitution for guidance uh, that all men were created uh, equal and life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? Do you think that shaped his uh, vision?
4: Yeah, listen,
1: I, you know, I, I've now looked at Lincoln and Washington and, you know, what do they have in common? Why are they the best presidents? Because basically, if you ask anyone who's the best president, it's, it's going to be down to those two. Most people, you know, unless you grew up with JFK and he's your guy because you were, you know, you were that generation. It, it, most people argue between Lincoln and and, uh, and George Washington. And I think the when I look at both of them, the one thing they have in common um, is they both are kind of from nothing, and also become part of everything. They become the best of us, and they grow up, you know, in the worst situations. And I think in that way, they can, they can, they've lived in multiple worlds. Um, not mm. that that's the cause. There's certainly no causation behind that. There's plenty of people who who have uh, rough childhoods and never ever achieve that. But I think it's an important part of understanding them. And, and no question, um, I'll give you my two favorite Abraham Lincoln stories when he's little. But one of them is, is I actually use in the little kid's book we wrote about him. When Abraham Lincoln is 10 years old, he used to love animals. And he comes upon a group of boys who were playing with turtles. And he's like, I love turtles. So he races over to play with the turtles. And when he gets there, he sees that they're not playing with the turtles. What these boys are doing is they're putting hot coals on the backs of the turtles. They're actually trying to burn the turtles to make them run faster, see how fast they can move they're torturing the turtles.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: Abraham Lincoln, 10 years old, is horrified. And I don't care if you're 10 years old or you're 50 years old. Yeah. It is sometimes hard to do the right thing, but someone has to. And in that moment, Abraham Lincoln's like, take the coal off the turtles. He writes his first paper, the next day gives a, a speech in class and, and, writes, and writes this essay about being kind to animals um, and how important it is. And he has this kind of real passion for being kind. Um, and and you know a, what, what happens later in life is he comes upon, he remembers this group of slaves that he sees that are all chained up. Hmm. And he doesn't do anything that day. There's nothing to do. He's a boy. Um, but he says he never forgot that. He never forgot how they looked. And not that that's the magic moment that made Abraham Lincoln and suddenly he swore, you know, to take down slavery. It wasn't that easy. Yeah. Um, in fact, when Lincoln's elected, he's, he's not determined to take away slavery. He's, no, he's much more in the middle. He doesn't get there until later right. in the war. Um, but I do think, to answer your question, that it's all those pieces that kind of eventually fit together and send on the right way. Listen, part of it's meeting Frederick Douglass, and Frederick Douglass pushing him and pushing him, yeah, um, to kind of get to that point on slavery. But but as in all of our childhoods, it, it's never one day. We don't have Batman origins and Superman origins where it's one day like right. comic books are that decide your fate. It's all the little days. It's all the millions of
5: steps that kind of lead up to who we are. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's funny. I have a ten year old, and we have those talks often about how. You don't just suddenly become a man, but it's, it's, a step, it's a stepping process where you build upon the foundations and you, and, you, and, you, and you learn those things kind of like how Abraham Lincoln did. But Yeah, and listen, you know, one of the things we deal with in the book is that's how we are as a country too. We're not right. suddenly
1: wonderful, right? We have to get there and we <laughs> so get there true. by going through giant disasters. I mean, one of the things we feature in the book um, is this amazing moment. Uh, where you see uh, Charles Sumner is uh, a senator who's in the Senate giving a speech against slavery.
3: Right.
1: And uh, all of a sudden in walks a, a congressman who has a cane, and the congressman takes his cane, his wooden cane, with a metal tip on it and goes over to Sumner and basically says, you've dishonored my relative. You gave a speech and talked about you know, how he was pro-slavery and what an awful person he was, and basically starts beating him on the floor of the Senate, in the middle of the speech, <laughs> and all the congressmen and senators are looking around. You know, They're trying to protect him. He's on the ground now bleeding, and he's hitting him again and again and again. Good and God. people are basically, the two people, the two other guys he comes in with are kind of cheering him on. And the guy leaves. Eventually the king cracks on his skull, like breaks literally there, Jeez. throws it down, leaves. And you think we're a divided country now? Yeah, you think everything's a mess now? Like this is on the floor of our of, of the of the U.S. Senate. This is the the world that Abraham Lincoln inherits as he's coming in in 1860. A world where our politicians you think they're fighting on cable television now, where they're physically fist fighting, you know, attacking each other. Um, you know, of course, the attacker becomes this. He gets kicked out and gets censured, but. Eventually comes back and wins re-election. Yeah, they bring him back. You know, he becomes a hero in the South. Of course, you know, Sumner is beat within an inch of his life. And almost dies right there. And and I think we forget, like you said, with you know, when you're dealing with your son, like I deal with my kids, it's just trying to you know, if you show them just the good parts, mm. you fool them into thinking that it's all easy. But right. to me, the reason the story of the Lincoln assassination is so amazing, and this attempt is so amazing. You see how hard it is for Abraham Lincoln? He's dealing with a country divided in half, half the side hates the other side, everyone thinks everyone's full of crap. Sound familiar, right? I mean, <laughs> that's where we are and and if you want to teach your kids about it or teach us as adults about it, you got to look at the ugly and acknowledge it too.
5: Absolutely. And, and we almost we almost lost our country in the 18 in during the 1860s and it was only um extraordinary people and circumstances that actually pre- prevented that result. There were all the things no, Abraham
1: players. Lincoln Abraham Lincoln gets elected 3 days later South <laughs> Carolina days. passes a resolution that says we you know we intend to to basically uh, get out of this so-called union that we yeah. have we we want to get out of here we're done
3: Right. 3 days 3 days right <laughs>
1: three, that's how much time. in fact people are like in the south are like oh Abraham Lincoln's so great It's like and listen you know I live in the south now I'm in Florida and the south did not put Abraham Lincoln on the ballot. No one in the, almost no one in the South voted for him. They wouldn't even put him on the ballot. They hated him so much. And I know we all celebrate it now. Always the great president. Always so amazing. Not back then. Yeah. They hated him. Hated him. In fact, when he saves himself and escapes the, the people that are trying to kill him, you'll see in the book, and I don't want to ruin it because you'll see how, how everyone reacts and how he, how he escapes in the middle of the night. But the most amazing part is half the country says, Oh, what a loser and what a coward for running to save his own life! No president should ever run. And you're like, they're trying to kill him, and we all yeah. know he's going to die, right? Yeah. We know that in a couple of years he's dead. Even and a so pro it becomes this amazing story.
5: There was a pro uh, newspaper in in New York. I forget which one it was that wrote that. You know that plot wasn't real, and you know you were, you know, it was shameful that you uh, you, you know you you showed up in the middle of the night in Washington D.C. instead of instead of going. Oh no, yeah, yeah, they literally called the him a coward.
1: They were like, "Nope, yeah. nope, they weren't going to kill you." I mean, even though they have all the proof and all the evidence and everything else, they were just like, "Nope, you're a coward. You ran." So but, nothing but, really changes.
5: I'm curious, Brad. What do you, what do you think happens uh, to the Union then uh, if Lincoln is actually indeed assassinated in Baltimore? What
1: do you yeah, think you know, we deal with that at the end of the book. We try to look at it, and obviously, listen. Um, if Abraham Lincoln dies in 1860. Does someone else come in and do just as good a job and do everything right? Maybe even do do it better and faster? Maybe, maybe not. There's no way to obviously know, but I profoundly believe that what makes a great president always, uh, our best presidents that we look at, the ones we think are the greatest are always tried. They're tried in some kind of disaster that they never planned for. And the moment of greatness is how they react to that disaster. It's why looking now, and, and looking at Donald Trump, whether you like him or you hate him, but watching him fight every day, watching everyone pitted against each other, watching half the country hating the other half, I can tell you one thing, I don't care what your politics are, we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong right yeah. now, right? My friends in, on Fox News and my friends on CNN, when I go to both those interviews there, they all say the same thing. It's disgusting how we talk to each it other is. right now. Right. We're doing something wrong. Yep. Um, and the one thing that I know That Abraham Lincoln, whatever else you want to take away, whatever else you want to say, you know, someone else could have done. The one thing he was committed to was that union. He knew Mm -hmm. that the union is worth fighting for. Right. Um, So does the whole world change? I think it does change if he dies early. Um, You know, obviously, there's just no way to prove it.
4: Right. Mm -hmm. Kind kind of building on that, one of the things that strikes me about many key historical events is how easily they could have gone sideways or turned out completely different if one little thing had changed. And the Lincoln conspiracy is filled with such instances, uh, from the events of his childhood to the circumstances of both conventions uh, were extraordinary and facilitated his election, Um, to the details of the plot that you've outlined in the book. So when you look at situations like that, do you think there is some credence to divine providence, or are we just living in the matrix? <laughs> How do you view uh, those? Yes. The answer is yes. Right? <laughs> I mean, I
1: mean that, that's the thing
4: is you look at this
1: story, I mean, the crazy part of the story is there's a mo- one of my favorite moments in the book, or I'll say two of them, are just they are matrix moments, right? It's Abraham Lincoln looks in the mirror right after he gets elected, and he basically has a vision. And he looks in the mirror, and he sees kind of like half of himself well and half of himself in like a blur. And whether it's a dream or whether he sees it, whatever you want to believe, and historians can argue over it. But he basically decides that he's going to live through – he's he's going to die in office is what he decides. He has a vision that he's going to die in office. That's freaking amazing, right? And then he goes back and he visits – he goes to visit his stepmom – um, who, you know, he loves, adores, you know, when people taught him how to read and he goes in. the last moment before he leaves for Washington, D.C. is this wonderful moment where he, where he gets away from it all. He's the new president. He's not sworn in yet, but he's getting ready to leave on the train to go to Washington, D.C. And he says, I want to go home. I want to see the graves. I want to see my stepmom. I want to see what's important. I want to see my family. And his stepmom basically says that day, I know he's going to die. I know I'm never going to see him again. Jeez. And she's totally right, of course. Yeah, And you're just like, you if that's not the matrix, I don't know what it is, right? If I told you that in real life, you'd never believe it. Right. But we happen to know the ending of the story. And Lincoln is just filled over and over. You know, George Washington, as you said, used the word providence, whether it's God, whether you believe it's fate, whatever you believe, you know, how the universe works. The story for Lincoln and Lincoln's conspiracy is filled with those moments where you just feel like someone is writing this divine tale. <laughs> you know, there's a, the, the uh-huh. bad guys in the book, right? There's a, a group called the Knights of the Golden Circle, there's a secret society, the secret society is going to kill him, And it's an offshoot of these guys, the Knights of the Golden Circle. And one of the things that I love in the book is we do this, we talk about this scene where they're all deciding who's going to be the killer, who's going to actually pull the trigger and kill Abraham Lincoln. And in this dark room, they all draw straws, right? So each yes. one of us picks out from the thing. We have to each pick our straw. And whoever gets the short one is going to be, you know, I'm obviously making a little quicker than, than what it is in the book you <laughs> see them, you know, actually draw them out. But the thing that's great in the end um, is they're like, we, we don't want to tell, you can't tell anyone who is the one that got the short straw because they don't want anyone to know in case you're captured, in case we get busted, no one can know who the killer is so they can't stop them so none of us know out of the four of us here who got the short straw and the great moment of course is when you later find out um that there wasn't just one short straw but there were like six seven eight of them Mm
3: -hmm. and
1: they didn't they were so worried you might back out that there were going to be eight different killers at the same time you're like holy cow this could Mm -hmm. all go sideways at any moment if it's not stopped in just the right way and and Those moments are, you know, again, it's the thing that if I put it in a thriller, you'd never believe it. You'd roll your eyes and say, that's silly coincidence (laughs) that it goes sideways. But when I tell you it's Abraham Lincoln and it's a real story, and oh, and by the way, you know who else was in the Knights of the Golden Circle later? They had this member named John Wilkes Booth. (sighs) And you're like, what the hell is going on here? You just can't help but go like, my God, this really happened. And that's, you know, the thriller right here in me loved the, the pace of the story and loved the consequence of the story. But it, but this story as a nonfiction historical book, does things I could never do in a thriller just because it, it, <clears throat> it defies all logic.
2: No kidding.
0: <laughs> well, wow. so, speaking of which the Lincoln conspiracy is your second historical nonfiction, but um, you know, most authors spend a career in a single genre. You though, Brad have had incredible success in nonfiction. Of course, many people um, got to know you first from writing fiction books uh, my kids and many other children around here know you from writing successful children's books. And you also do comic books. Quite, you know, you, quite a spread of, of different genres. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you attribute that success to that you've done something seemingly so difficult and you've branched out and gotten away from just one specific genre like the thrillers that you that you're known for as well?
1: Yes, yeah, so you're like, why is your attention span so short, right? Like, <laughs> no, um, not at all. <laughs> no, 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 no,
0: when are you going to decide
1: on what to do? You know, the funny thing is, is, is when I started doing this 20-something years ago, and now it's like 22 years ago, if you wrote thrillers, you were a thriller writer, and that's what you did. Right. And if you were a nonfiction person, you wrote nonfiction. You were a kid's book author. You were a kid's book author. You stayed in your lane, and that's what you did. And I remember um, DC Comics offered me Green Arrow and um kevin smith the the well-known amazing director was leaving green arrow he was the writer of green hour was their number one superhero book for dc comics at the time and they and they said you you know if we bring in another uh, comic book writer everyone's gonna go where's the director where's kevin smith but if we bring in you brad you write thrillers people are gonna be like why is dc comics giving their number one superhero book to some guy we've never heard of yeah. and they said you can you you can you know, you'll, you'll be on a big stage. You're either going to succeed on a big stage. You're going to fail on a big stage, but you want to take a shot. And I was like, I'll always take that shot. And I remember when I went to start doing comics, you know, all these people in novels were like, why are you slumming in comics? Why are you doing in comics? You're not supposed to do that. They say, you're not supposed to switch genres. I'm like, who's they, who's this they Uh, you're talking uh, about? Where are these rules written down? Because they seem nonsense to me. And the reality was, is I just like comics. So I did a comic. And then they were like, I was like, I want to do a TV show because I found these really cool historical stories. So I'm going to try and do this History Channel TV show. And they were like, you can't do that. You're a, you're a writer. You can't, they say you can't do a show. I'm like, who is the they? Mm-hmm. And so I tried and went to History Channel and they said yes. And, and thankfully, True. Um, now you see it a lot. I mean, I certainly didn't invent it. There were people who did it long before I did. But now you get to see people jump around and do different things. But at the start, it just wasn't like that. And for me, you know, again, it goes back to what I said earlier is a good story is a good story. And sometimes I find a story and I'm like, that's a great fictional story. I'm going to work on that. And sometimes I'm like, this one's too good. The plot to kill George Washington was too good to just put in a novel. I was like, I want to write a whole book on it. Seven years, eight years went by. I couldn't shake the story. I knew it's time to write a book on it. And sometimes I'm like, That's a better comic book story. You know what? That's a better kid's book story. That's perfect for my kids. They need this lesson in morality. And so for me, I just, you know, I just find good stories. And then they just happen. You know, it's like, if I said to you, what's your favorite movie? And you said, I like action movies. I'm like, fine, that's great. You're going to now watch action movies the rest of your life. You'd eventually (laughs) very quickly hate action movies. And whatever genre you pick, whether it's foreign films or comedies, if you just got to do one thing, to me, you know,
5: what's the fun in that?
2: I think you're in good company with David Morell. We talked to him recently yeah. and that. Uh,
4: yeah.
5: very much. Just thinking about that.
2: Yeah. Greg Hurwitz, Harlan Coben. A lot of you
4: guys are. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah Harlan's one of, Harlan and Greg. Those are two of my dearest friends in this industry. And I've talked to them at length. I mean, right. All of us like to kind of do different things. And it's just because we like all of us like different things. The same way you all like different genre movies. And depending yeah. on the day, you want a dumb comedy. You want an action movie. You want something that's funny. You want something with subtitles like we're not all one thing and we, we never should be. And to me, if, you know, if I find a storyteller, I like, well, tell me another story, yeah. you know, tell me another. All
4: right. well, I remember um, I've written for both newspapers, magazines, and I did some screenwriting as well. And people would say, when I'd say I was a writer, they, well, what do you write? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> right. Why, why are you trying to limit me? <laughs> so I, I, I'm, right, right, right. You, you speak to my heart with, uh, with all that. <laughs>
5: Absolutely. But, but getting back to uh, the Lincoln conspiracy, Al- Alan Pinkerton is at the center of U.S. history during the 1860s, and his detective agency is it's credited with being the forebearer of my former employer, the, the Secret Service. Um, w- what are your thoughts on him? What, was he a, a genius entrepreneur or someone at the right place at the right time in history?
1: You know, or he's a big fat liar, right, is the other option. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, and depending on who you pick, they'll tell you. I mean, I, listen, Alan Pinkerton, I, I believe in Alan Pinkerton. Um, and the reason I believe him and I believe his story and the reason I think he's pretty amazing is because he was so crazy that he documented everything in real time. Right? Yeah. Like, his I don't journals. believe anyone now. If you write an email now, I'm like, you know that we're all watching. You write the but at a time when no one knew that these letters were going to be saved, these diaries were going to be saved, that this was that Abraham Lincoln was going to even be Abraham Lincoln, right. he's got it all documented. And all of the people in his office and the Pinkerton Detective Agency are documenting the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what's most important, right, is, is that on nearly every detail, except for that one meeting that we talk about in the book that we say that he's the only one who talks about this one, um, every single detail is collaborated. By someone else and in fact one of the great moments is you know alan pinkerton's working this case and he has the night where he tells abraham lincoln listen your life's in danger and abraham lincoln's like is this guy full of crap is this true like what's the story here and the great moment to me in the story is right after pinkerton leaves uh someone else knocks and basically contacts lincoln and says listen we got a story for you someone's trying to kill you and tells the exact same story from a totally different perspective from Oof. some other people who are looking into the same thing. And that's where you realize Alan Pinkerton, listen, is he lucky that he's the one who was called by the head of the railroad to say, hey, I need you to look into this case because I think they're trying to blow up my railroad and maybe kill Lincoln? Like, sure, yes, you picked up the phone on the right day. Yeah. You got onto the case. But the reason why the head of that railroad called Alan Pinkerton is because of his reputation that preceded that moment. That's why he got the call. So it's not just dumb luck. He's not just a schmo who picks it up and is like, hello, detective agency. I've never done anything before, but I'd like to take your case. Like he gets that call for a reason. Um, you know, yeah. but Pinkerton's a complicated guy, like we all are. You know, he's not perfect. Um, there are moments where he's prone to exaggeration, especially about his own stuff later in life. He gets into a fight with one of Lincoln's top closest people, and they start debating what's true and what's not. Um, so we were, as we were, Josh and I were going through it, we're looking and saying, okay, what story is Pinkerton telling and what are his other agents telling and where do they overlap and where they overlap is where I think the truth is and where they don't is where you get someone who's trying to make themselves look good. Um, and we were very careful to always try and be, be, you know, really, really clever and smart about finding, you know, the truth from the exaggeration.
2: Wow. Staying in, uh, in that kind of vein with the Pinkerton agency in 1856, A 26-year-old childless widow, uh, Kate Warren, has the audacity to apply for a detective job with a famous Pinkerton agency. A full 35 years before anybody had ever uh, any female had ever been hired by any law enforcement agency in this country, and how effective? And and, and Pinkerton knew how effective a woman would be in that type of role, and. On top of it, he understood that if something happened to her because it was a dangerous gig and something happened to her uh, during, you know, her employee, it was going to kill his career and his and his business. Um, so in your research, can you explain in the historical, historical context, just how forward thinking was this 170 years ago?
1: I mean, that's where you got to give Pinkerton credit, right? You can be whatever, you can get the call... But to have the gall in that moment, (sighs) whatever it is, whatever, you know, like whether it's bravery or just like, man, I I could use her or maybe I just think she's amazing. And when I read and and again, Pinkerton literally lists what she said and what he felt on that interview, he has no idea who she's going to become. He has no idea if he's burying her in a week. Right. He's just giving his God's honest opinion of this woman who walks into his office and says, I think I'm as good as any of the guys. And he gets the vibe. You can see in his notes, you can see what he thinks of her. Like, there's just a confidence about her. There's something about her. Um, That's, to me, where history is made. History is not a bunch of dates and facts you memorize. History is a selection process. Yeah. It chooses every single one of us every single day. And the only question is, do you hear the call? And on that day, Alan Pinkerton has this woman walk into his office, who sits down and says, I'm as good as anybody else. You want to give me a shot? And he gets the vibe. He gets the call. He hears the call and he takes it. Um, and it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And then he hires again, you know, some say she's the first, um, you know, whether she's African-American or not, but he hires the second one too. It's not just Kate Warren that he gives a shot right. to, but other people, some say that his next female agent is a mixed race. Some people say she's not, to me, it doesn't matter. The point is he did it again. Right. He went yeah. out and said, you know what, I'm onto something here. And and, you know, whether it was just callousness of like, I need to infiltrate women sometimes, or whether he's like, men are stupid and they're just going to listen to anyone that, you know, doesn't have a penis,
5: yeah. like,
1: whatever his reasoning is the honey trap. <laughs> it works, man. He's got it. The honeypot, so, right? Whether it's the honeypot yeah, trap yeah. or not, um, he knows what's going on. He takes the chance. And full credit to him because, as you see in the link conspiracy, it pays off right? Abraham Lincoln's life, part of it is resting in the hands of this woman who at the time no one would have hired.
5: Correct. I spent 20 years in law enforcement, Brad, uh, at state and federal level. My wife is a secret service agent still to this day. And females in law enforcement are still second class citizens. They're still looked down, whatever, you know, they give all the PC I've been in. I've been in those locker rooms. I, I hear the guys talking. They're all looked down. And so for that to happen 170 years ago, blows my mind. Right. Yeah. Full credit.
4: So this is a bit of a philosophical question. Um, you talked about this a lot earlier. I, I chuckle and sigh both uh, at the thought that <laughs> oh, the country's never been more divided than it is right now. Um, and you know, the Brooks beating of Sumner was a. a, a, a <laughs> Stark example, but there there are many others. Um, my question is: with the saturation and in information and misinformation, and the way elections are won in this day and age, do you think it's possible for a Lincoln-esque figure to to still rise um, and unite us in a more, hopefully, a more peaceful manner?
1: Um, you know, if I if I believe no, I'm so saddened. I'm heartbroken. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I must believe yes. I must believe. That goodness still exists in this world, because otherwise I would personally be miserable. Um, and listen, I think that uh, we're at a low right now, right? I don't care what your politics are. We're at a low in the way we right. communicate with each other. We're doing right. it wrong. And um, and I think, as in all things, when you come to, it, but this is not our first low. And you right. know, and part of the reason we worked on this book, and you saw when you read the book, the book isn't, you know, it's, it's easy for us to be titillated and say, here's a book about a secret plot to kill Abraham Lincoln. Isn't it funny? Almost dies. And we're going to show you how and hear the bad guys. But as you read the book, what we very, very consciously worked at was to show you the full context of the racial divide that was happening in the country. The, the not simple path that Abraham Lincoln had to take to get there and even how himself he was flawed in his ability to get there quickly. It took him a long time yeah. with a lot of deaths before he was finally like, you know what? I need to come out stronger against slavery. You know, people think if you, you, know, if you shake an American awake in the middle of the night, you say, what did Abraham Lincoln do? Go wake up and go free the slaves, right? They'll just will blurt out. We say right. free the slaves as if like he was elected and he said, I'm going to free the slave. But that's not how it was.
3: Wow, he didn't get there. Um, right you
1: know, he, it, it does, it takes him a while to get there. And, and, and to me, just to your question, I think as we get to, and we're in a current low point, um, you need a great leader to help us get out of it. And we will find greatness when we find who gets us out of this, because I truly believe, and listen, I think it's hard because we're, we're now experiencing, half the country is experiencing the news very different than the other half. Yeah. If you are just watching Fox News, if you are just watching CNN, you are experiencing the world in an entirely different way than yeah. another part of the country.
3: Echo you, you just are. If
1: you are only following on Twitter people who agree with you and you're muting and unfollowing anyone who doesn't, you are not an informed citizen, to borrow the words of someone, right? Like you are not informed at all. You are in an echo chamber where you think you're always right and no one is always right. So it's much harder to get good information now. It's much harder because it's so easy to hit unfollow. It's so easy to just like, I don't want to hear someone who who disagrees with me and tell them wrong but we owe it to ourselves to do a little better to to when you're done listening here to go on and be like this guy, he pisses me off, but I want to see what he says. Let's just hear what he says. Cause maybe he's going to be right. And that's how we do it. You know, what what is stark to me is how many people think their side is the only side that's right at all times. Right, yeah. That just physically, mathematically can't be right. <laughs> and, uh, and I hope we get the person who can, who can kind of slice that middle of the country. Um, Cause I do think, I think, you know, I think that, and I really do believe this, You know, 20% on the right is just going to be crazy on the right and 20% on the left is going to be crazy on the yeah. left. But it's those in the middle who are willing to kind of like listen and keep an open mind. Yeah. That is the real America. That's the heart of America. That's willing to open their ears and open their hearts. Um, and that's the part of the country I like to believe in. That, and, and there's going to be someone out there who people go like, yeah, I'm with you. And, and listen, there were people who hated George W. Bush hated him right felt he stole the election took it from gore the hanging yeah. chad the whole thing but when 9-11 yeah. happened and he stepped up he did i don't big. care what side of politics you are you were like that was a big day man that was a big swing and the guy went for it and was amazing it was exactly what the country needed right there
5: yeah.
3: um
1: yeah. and and i wish we had that now i wish we had someone who brought us together rather than choose choose to divide us
5: yeah we'll find it when so when is uh, brad Meltzer throwing his hat in the political ring there you go. Oh, yeah, ass. that's the headache
1: I need today. That's exactly <laughs> <what I'm saying.
5: laughs> I got publishing dates. Where, when the dust settles is what <laughs> Right,
1: right. You know, one of the things we teach our kids now, there's a Harvard study done, and says when we were all growing up, what we cared about was being smart. Our parents taught us you got to be smart. That was like the big thing you had to be. And what we teach our kids now, whether we like it or not, good or bad, um, we don't do it intentionally, but we do it, is how to be popular that's what social media is, is we're Mm -hmm. measuring popularity, how many likes you get, how many followers you have, how many people hit that little uh, smiley face on your post. Uh, Kids realize that there is a a currency in being popular. And that's a disaster for our culture. That's a disaster. And so to me, I want my kids not to have lessons in popularity, but lessons in kindness and compassion, lessons in, in being a good person and perseverance. And that's why I tell that story about Abraham Lincoln when he's 10 years old, or Over your head, Eric, like George Washington um, Mm -hmm. when he's a little boy who, you know, is good at math but can't spell, you know, who likes to dance and do other things and likes to swim. And my kids are like, they don't care about him being the first president. They don't care he's on the dollar bill. They're like, oh, he's like me, can't spell. And Mm -hmm. whoever you look up to, whether it's Rosa Parks or Dr. King or Abraham Lincoln or anyone else, whoever you look up to in your life, have moments where they were scared and they were terrified and they didn't think they could go on, but they choose to. Yeah. and that's all those kids books are about and that's what the thrillers are about and that's what, uh, that's what the link conspiracy is about it's just showing you the humanity of these people because what we do today with our heroes um, is we put them up on pedestals we build these big statues and we do them a huge disservice because they're not human beings anymore
3: mm-hmm. but the
1: more we can remind everyone that we're all flawed and we're all screwed up and we're all gonna make mistakes uh, the better I think we'll all be as people
0: mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. well Brad, you finished the main portion of our interview. Now we have a small portion here that we like to call the lightning round. We're going to all throw all right. a couple questions Ready. at you one at a time. We always tell our guests we've not put too much thought into these questions and we expect very little thought in the response.
3: <laughs> oh, I can guarantee that, great.
0: That being said, they might be a little more intellectual for you because you're a history person and we know you. So, um, But my first question, I'm going to start it off. Good news, Marty McFly pulls into your South Florida driveway. He's going to take you back in time to one historic moment, only one, where's Marty going to take you?
1: I just, you know, um, my, my kids, by the way, regularly debate the Marty McFly moment if they could come back and meet me when they were younger,
3: because they think <laughs> they're be cooler figure. than me.
1: That's, that, <laughs> that is a regular debate in our house. We, Marty McFly, we had the time machine, Doc Brown took us back, we're going to come meet you in the 80s. And I'm always like, don't go and meet <laughs> me. There's better places. <laughs> All respect is out the window. So, you know, I I don't have a I don't have that you know, I don't have that one spot like that. I feel like oh, I want to be there when you know this because I don't. I, I think very rarely does that moment happen. I actually believe much more in in meeting people. I just believe in people more than moments. So I would much rather have a quiet moment with Abraham Lincoln that would be my spot that I'd pick.
0: Dude. I'd rather
1: have a moment when Jim Henson is young or Mr. Rogers is starting yeah. out to just have him alone. Give me 10 minutes mm-hmm. um, rather than some magical, because I think what we do as a society is we, and maybe I'm supposed to be a lightning answer, but I think we, we okay. make these big moments as if this is the moment that changed history right here. Yeah, And right. it just yeah. rarely, rarely is that moment. Maybe the big I take I take 10 <laughs> minutes with my mom any day, by the way. I would, I would yeah, go back yeah, in yeah, time yeah, and bro. take my yeah. parents any day.
0: Right. Um, absolutely. Uh my last question. You want me question, to answer
1: by the way? Should I answer very fast or you no. want like to actually do whatever you want,
0: however you it's, okay. it's your time, you got it. so whatever it's you want. We got two
4: questions apiece.
0: Yeah, two <laughs> each. So my, my final question. Uh excluding Superman and Batman, DC calls you after our meet after our interview ends, and they want you to take the reins of another iconic character for DC. Who are you gonna take?
1: Uh it's funny, I would always take a team book. I take uh and I've talked about all of these. Uh, I mean, I take Teen Titans or Legion of Superheroes. I did Justice League already, but I'd still take Justice League. Justice League is yeah. my forever book. That I can write cool. that book forever.
5: Yeah, cool. for sure. My kids love Teen Titans. I know. Use <laughs> too. Chris is up. The movie all is right.
1: spectacular, by the way. Teen Titans goes to the movies. It's a spectacular movie.
5: It is. It is. Uh, I, loved
1: it. I don't care if you're – I I went to see it with my grown kids, and we laughed our heads off. It was
3: fantastic. <laughs>
5: So, Brad, the um, uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Met, has decided to gift you one painting of your choosing, any painting, with the caveat you must never sell it. Which one do you pick, and where do you display it?
1: Oh, I'm taking the Mona Lisa. I had no respect for the Mona Lisa. I always was like, Mona Lisa is an overrated, it's nonsense, <laughs> it's so bad, it's so stupid. It's this big. What is she saying? What is it's she doing? Whatever. Big. It's so small, it's tiny. I went to see it, and I was like, from far away, I was like, it's so th- teeny it's little it's nothing yeah. and then i got up close and i was like shit this thing is awesome
3: yeah <laughs> it was it's awesome masterful. it was
1: there's something magical there is an alchemy that is taking place and we've done whole episodes of decoded on it it mm-hmm. is it is i'm taking that because first of all uh where do i put it i mean well there's no sun because i live in florida man
5: <laughs> attic there. <laughs> and you don't have a basement yeah. so yeah i yeah, have
1: a hidden no room behind your bookshelf if it's out i do I, I have a i do have a hidden room here where we keep some more from the comic books so i put it right in there nice and next to basically superman and batman i think that would be
5: appropriate superman batman
0: uh, mona and mona. <laughs>
5: mona lisa baby i'll take the mona All right. and so what what do you think my last question is what, what do you think is humanity's greatest not strength but weakness
1: Never been asked that. Um, I think one of our greatest weaknesses is the inability to remember um, our low moments. I think one of the things we do is we forget our own history. Mm-hmm. We forget what it was like when it was hard. Every one of us has gotten our ass kicked, right? Yep. All of us. And, yep. and one thing I hate in someone, and maybe I'm just revealing my how I pick my friends, but There are friends that, you know, there are people you know who when it's going bad, like they're nice, they're humble, they're everything, wonderful. But the moment it goes well, they quickly forget it. They forget and they think that they're the only one who got themselves there, right? They think everything was just them. It was all them. They did it all. And they forget how many people in their own past helped them, encouraged them, said yes, said you're good at this, gave you a shot. Um, you know, in America, we love legends and myths. We're a country founded on legends and myths and the legends and myths we love most are our own. Mm. And we love to tell the story of the self-made man. Um, and I just don't believe in the self-made man. I believe in hard work. I know I busted my ass. Yeah. I was the first in my family to go to a four-year college. Mm-hmm. Um, my family struggled forever. So I know what hard work takes, but I'd be a fool if I thought I did it all myself, but it wasn't because of my teachers and my mentors and people who took shots on me and, And, you know, bookstore clerks who took a shot on a new book they never saw before. I mean, I have people come to me um, at book events and they're like, I've been with you for 20 years. uh, One just happened, actually. I was at the big Barnes & Noble annual meeting. And this woman came up to me. She's, you know, about my age. And she said, I just want you to know I'm the manager of this store now. It was a manager's meeting with every manager in every Barnes & Noble. And she said... But when you were 27 years old, you came into my store and you were the only author. I was just the clerk who filed the books away, but you were the only author that came in that actually talked to me like a human being. I just want to say thank you for that. And I was just like, well, how is he supposed to talk? Like, what are you <laughs> supposed to do? And, um, and I don't tell you that story as like some kind of self congratulatory way, yeah. but to me, if you think you made it on your own, you're wrong, right? right. You're missing parts of your own history. And, and I think when you do that, you create a callousness in ourselves. Um, that just shows a lack of empathy, and and I just have no stomach for people with a lack of empathy.
2: Mm. Same Well said.
4: So I could ask a philosophical question, like Eric. Um, you've studied several periods of history. Um, obviously, it's it's evident in your work, but I'm sure that there's other periods you've studied just out of interest. Uh, I'm not going to ask you who you would like to meet or what historical event you would like to witness. What I'm going to ask you is if you had to bring some historical way of dressing back, which era? <laughs> how would you yeah, dress?
5: That's spectacular. A kilt.
4: Um, jams, jams. Right. I mean, you, there's so much good
5: stuff. I,
1: you know, I, I once did a piece. I had to go to London. They had me do a piece on, um, on barristers in London. And they still wear the wigs that George Washington yeah. wore.
3: Yeah.
1: I mean, look at me. I'm bringing the wig back. <laughs> the wig is... I mean, I would take the wig. I just love, I mean, that's why I, when I was younger, I never appreciated Lex Luthor, Gene Hackman pulling off the wig at the end. And I was was like, why is he wearing a wig? I get it now, baby. (laughs) I know it. So I think I'm, I think I single-handedly bring the wig back. And I'd do the ponytail too, man. With the little ribbon in the back. That
2: would be badass. The ribbon in the the ponytail in the back. (laughs) That's
1: like, that's like the, that's like the Jedi, you know, like Padawan. Like that was America's (laughs) equivalent of it. It was the best
0: yeah
2: if you so get that cute.
1: reference by the way you're such a nerd
2: too it's Oh,
1: we're all
0: nerds, nerds. oh <laughs> yeah when we get past I'm this old, when we get past the social distancing and you're on your next book tour i'm bringing you a wig that's that's it <laughs>
4: yeah <laughs> um my my younger son is a clothes horse and he he's always looking at pictures of the 20s and the 30s and he's like i want fedoras and suits i wish everybody wore fedoras and suits all the mm-hmm. time <laughs> it looked good. I,
1: he's right listen the fedora is Listen, mine is a comedy answer. The fedora is the right answer. That's the right answer. This is not a question. Your son is I like a smart, your man. answer, though. I would I like take that. the fedora any day. I mean, I bring a fedora and a whip and just dress Indiana Jones all the time.
4: <laughs> it's how you live, man. So my second question is, um, I know you, you're not seeking politics, but let's say for some reason you decide to run for office, at, run for president. What is your pithy uh, presidential slogan? Elections. I know mine. Oh, I,
1: I'm a writer. I know mine. I know right. mine. I'm not telling it to you. I'm gonna use it one
4: day. Yes, right. <laughs> oh, an answer mine. I know what it is.
2: You didn't hear it here first, people. <laughs> you did not hear it first, yes. Cheers. <laughs> All right, I'm up well said. So you uh you have the power to bring to life one comic book character for one hour. Who do you mm. choose and why?
5: Oof. Oh, that's good too. Uh, Only an hour, huh?
1: I'm down to my three. I know my three. Sorry, four. It's either Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, or Captain America. That's it. There's no question it's those four. How do you pick one? I think I got to take Superman. I'm tempted to take Batman, but I got to take Superman. I got to see... Yeah. I want to, I want to, I'd rather see the, all the good and see the dark. Bat, you yeah. Know, that, I reveal myself. would probably but, blow
5: you off. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Batman would definitely would not give me the time of day. That's yeah, for sure. But he's busy. I feel like part of the question is, is like, he gets trapped by the town and he has to speak to me. So we're stuck. So I feel like that's <laughs> in, embedded in this, in this thing.
2: <laughs> all right. My last question is this, the country is devolved into a lawless society filled with violence the students of Columbia and Yale Law Schools have a final clash in a, in a gang showdown for total dominance over the East Coast.
1: I like what? the way this is going.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what weapon is used in the final coup de grace moment of victory for one side versus the other?
1: Oh, I'm gonna just answer the first thing in my head just because it's gotta be because it's yeah. a lightning round. It is, the, um, it is me. And I am wielding the sword of Gryffindor, baby. Like I'm gonna pull it out of the hat. Like that is the first thing that came to my mind. It's the greatest Neville moment of all time. Um, and it is that is what. I, and I went to Columbia Law School, so I am. That is mine, baby. I'm pulling that sucker out and <laughs> Yale is "Dead!"
2: Owned. Totally owned. Not a question.
0: <laughs> excellent, excellent answer, it, Brad. Folks. You have survived the lightning round. We uh, we appreciate you coming on the show and giving us your time, and we look forward to the Lincoln Conspiracy coming out on May fifth. Amen.
2: This is a phenomenal uh, thank
0: you guys. book. You have got really to get this. Book.
2: I lo- I this pulled me in harder than any straight fiction book that I've read in like at least a year. This thing is phenomenal. You have yeah. to. Uh, read you! It looks like you had
1: a. Is that a hardback you have?
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Oh, I don't even have the hardback today. You got them before me. Look at that. That's awesome. <laughs> you want me to sign
2: this for you? I can <laughs> it. Yeah,
1: No, mine is like a paperback. I got a paperback here. That's all they gave me. Yeah, I mean, but, but let me say, in all, all seriousness, I know you guys do this. Um, and, I, and what no one, or I think all your viewers and listeners know is, and I know this from Eric, but I know you guys, like you do this out of love. Um, And thank you on behalf. You know, I I think our society focuses so much on celebrity and on who's famous and on what reality show you're on and what movie you're on and what television thing you're on. Thank you for dedicating this time to books. Thank you, Uh, especially on, on behalf of every writer out there. Um, and all the ones that you're going to have on after it is yeah. so appreciated, so important. So thank we you guys. We have to get back to time.
2: this. This is where the truth is at, and not on our phones and not on no, social no. media. This is where the truth of the matter is at. And I, thank you for saying that because it's we have to get our kids back into this direction again. In my opinion, so. And this book, people, please buy the Lincoln Conspiracy because it is unbelievable writing, and it's. Stranger than fiction. like. <laughs> but the the best, I know, the best... Every
1: time you're like, I can't believe this really happened. Every time I'm like, I
4: can't
2: believe it. Every page was like that.
4: I've always said, though, the best nonfiction reads like a novel. And it, when you're reading this, you forget you're not reading a novel. You know, a fictional novel. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a beautiful book. Love it. Thank you, Brad. It. We toast you.
1: Love you guys. Thank you for doing it. Really, really appreciate Absolutely. it. Thank
2: Thanks, you so buddy. much. Appreciate it.
0: The crew would like to... Thank New York Times bestseller Brad Meltzer for coming on our show tonight. His newest historic nonfiction book, The Lincoln Conspiracy, comes out on May 5th. Go get a copy. Don't forget, join us every Monday as we welcome a new guest. Gentlemen, another great show.
5: Bestselling author
0: guest. Bestselling author. And I will drink to all that.
2: Absolutely. Do it. This is going to be the outro for Brad Meltzer, and this is Eric Bishop, and his shirt matches the color of the book.
0: Fantastic.
2: All right, here we go. In three,
0: two, yin. Yeah. The crew is excited to have, yeah. Start <laughs> we
2: are excited.
0: We are excited. We are. still
2: though. excited. And take two.
0: Ready? Go out and support this author, and support all authors during this time. I don't want to say that part. Sorry. Uh, Find the script. uh, All support orphanages and (laughs) blood drives
4: and um. I
0: know. There's a wasp. Ooh, go get it, Mister Eric. Let me let me take care of the wasp real quick. Sorry. Eat it. Eat it. All right, here we go.
2: Round number something. Again,
0: his latest book, a historical nonfiction, *The Lincoln Conspiracy*, comes out on May fifth. Go get yourself a copy. Do it. And next, (laughs)
3: it's (laughs) like where do
0: I want to go? Don't forget, we'll have a new show next Monday as well. I'm gonna start that one again cuz that's just coming up there. And join us every Monday on the crew. And join dude. us, I, I got it, I got it. Okay. The crew would like to think. Okay,
2: no, no. Two, one, get yeah. yeah.